0: Post-production for this episode of Fruit Bowl is sponsored by Spaces, the new chat-based app for queer people to connect over all the things they're passionate about. Join a space and chat about your favorite topics, or create a space of your own and invite your friends, or share it with the larger community. All in a safe, LGBT-friendly environment powered by Hornet. Look for Spaces in the App Store now. I was living in New York's Lower East Side. It was 1995, and I was fresh out of undergrad and ready to discover all of what the city had to offer me. I worked as a freelance photo assistant, and I did a lot of traveling with Gus when he had photo shoots in Westchester or Long Island. And once, during a long drive back to Manhattan from a location, he insisted we listen to Joni Mitchell's album, Hijira. I wasn't sure what to make of her music at the time. It was complex, moody, and evoked a nostalgia that I couldn't quite wrap my head around as a 22 year old. Months later, we were in Florida for another job and we heard that John Kelly was performing in drag at a local theater as Joni Mitchell. For those of you who don't know his work, John Kelly's Joni Drag is not a cartoonish caricature of Joni. He's an interpreter of her songbook, and his reverence for her was on full display that night. The performance was a transformative experience for me, and soon after that, I dove headfirst into exploring Mitchell's catalog. Her songs and albums have continued to be a constant companion for my life's most difficult and most celebratory moments. I honestly don't think I would be the person I am today without Joni Mitchell's music. One of the many surprising discoveries I've made while producing Fruit Bowl is how often interviewees describe music as a trusted companion during some of our most difficult life experiences. It's there when we need someone to articulate emotions that we may not be able to describe ourselves. Music can tell us about love and relationships and, of course, sex. In his interview for this episode, Kenny describes turning to music during his first breakup. The Killer's Hot Fuss album from 2004 was his soundtrack of choice. Other interviewees have mentioned Shaggy, Ludacris, Bjork and, of course, Prince. Madonna, Janet Jackson, and Sinead O'Connor were some of my early companions. But Joni Mitchell's music has become more and more resonant as I've gotten older. And discovering her was made all the more meaningful because it was Gus and John Kelly, two gay men, one a trusted friend and another a gifted artist, who introduced me to her amazing songs. So just in case your interest is piqued, I'm going to continue the tradition and make my own recommendations to you on how to initiate yourself into Joni's music. I suggest starting with Court and Spark, and if you like that album, move on to Blue, and then to Hijira. And if you don't like our music at first, just wait 20 years, and it will likely resonate with you then. Speaking of trusted friends, the editor for Kenny's episode is Danny Teara. I have known Danny since before I moved to Seattle years ago. They are a designer, filmmaker, and animator whose latest project was illustrating Clitoris Chronicles, a book about Clitty, the clitoris, who is writing a novel, but can't figure out what the climax should be. I've been enjoying chatting with listeners on the Spaces app in the Fruit Bowl spaces I've created there. Continuing my music theme, the other day I asked what were people's favorite sexy songs. My top three are Aaliyah's Rock the Boat, Rihanna's Watch and Learn, and Jasmine Sullivan's BPW. Thanks to BJ for introducing me to that last one. Another member, Chuck626, Mentioned Barbara Mandrell's If Loving You Is Wrong, I Don't Want to Be Right It's All Wrong But It's All Right by Dolly Parton and Breakfast in Bed by Shelby Lynn So check out Spaces and join in on the conversation and let us know what your favorite sexy songs are. Just a reminder, I am still accepting short submissions from Fruit bowl listeners to be used in a future listener submission episode you can send them to me via spaces or email or you can record yourself using your phone's voice memo app and email the file to dave at Podcast.com. special thanks to my latest patrons Lou p and d a and also to paul for increasing his monthly donation Currently, we are at 43 patrons who provide $264 a month to help pay for website maintenance, music licenses, and promotional efforts. Learn more at patreon.com slash podcast. Finally, just a heads up about Kenny's interview. It does touch on some difficult subjects, including childhood sexual abuse, suicide ideation, and sexual assault. Okay, that's enough from me. Now, here's Kenny.
1: There's a guy lying on the floor, and he's holding his hard dick up, and I slide down into the splits, and his other hand is usually like, pulling my cheek apart just because the way when you do the splits your cheeks usually like squeeze together so he opens my ass and then I slide down onto his dick.
2: This is Fruit Bowl an oral history of queer sex.
1: My name is Kenny and I'm 30 years old.
2: This episode was recorded in July of 2019 in San Francisco.
1: I grew up all over the place. I've lived about more than 10 states, but I grew up most of my life in Kansas. I lived in a lot of small towns in Kansas, like all over the place throughout grade school, middle school. These small towns, everyone's white, Uh, everyone goes to church. It's um, definitely a way of life. And to say that it's conservative is probably an understatement, but uh, not conservative just politically, but in in culture and ideology and, of course, sexuality, and yeah, it's a very red state in more ways than one. But Hutchinson, I spent all of high school. It was a bigger town of, I think, just under 30,000 people. So um, my parents divorced when I was about four years old, and um, I've never been close with my father's side of the family, so it's always been my mom's side of the family. But on my father's side, I have two half-brothers and a half-sister, but I'm not close with them, so essentially I was raised an only child by my mom. The first time I knew about sex was in the second grade. I was living in a town of about 200 people, and we would all get on our bikes and like tour the town, which took about four minutes, but, um, There were some kids that I rode the bus with to school. It was then that I heard someone else's older brother who was in high school at the time talk about, you know, fucking a girl. And I'd heard the word fuck before, but it was an expletive of like, damn it, fuck, like that type of thing. I didn't know it was an action verb. (laughs) And uh, I think we were, uh, I wasn't the only one kind of confused by it, so we were like asking the older brother, what do you mean, what does fuck mean? And then he told us essentially what fucking was. Of course it was, fucking was, him inserting his dick into her pussy and it was only between a boy and a girl like that's what fuck meant
0: did your mom ever have the talk with you
1: my mom didn't have the talk with me growing up she worked a lot of jobs and she was really really busy so i became a very independent kid like i would get myself ready for school and i would make myself lunch and uh, to take to school that type of thing And I think my mom just doesn't have the best communication skills, didn't, and doesn't have the best communication skills to even have that type of conversation. So I didn't have a sex talk, I didn't have birds and bees, or anything like that. I mean, I feel like in third grade, I had a crush on Bo, who was a year older than me, because he was the first, like, naked man I saw. Bo and I would run around naked. All the time. I would go over to his house during the summer and he had sisters that would run around naked and I was like that's fun I'm gonna do it too and that was eventually evolving into like I looked at his body and I was like oh I like that because he was a year older than me so I think my proclivities for older men started in third grade. (laughs) Um, Yeah and that's when I was like uh, I was looking at his body and appreciating what he had and it matched mine but it was with him that I started like touch I touched his penis and he touched mine we're like oh wow you have one too cool there was a point in which we were, we were outside um, growing up in a small towns everybody's just naked running out in farmland apparently but we'd like pee outside and we're like oh what does it taste like and like boom like I tasted pee in second grade <laughs> um, so that started young as well um, but that was like the first experimentation like I eventually moved away from him so I, like, lost that for several years, that um, being able to do that with someone else, but that was, second grade was the first time. In the beginning, stories are what really propelled my, I guess, erotic desire. But in terms of, like, sex sex, it didn't happen until I found, like, magazines. Probably around fourth grade. My mom's boyfriend had them. <laughs> so they were in like a secret stash, and um, I found them, and I was like, "Whoa!" I was holding up the photos of guys and girls, and I'm like, "Oh yeah, yeah." Um, but I always wanted the action shots, and I was always upset that like <laughs> the magazines that I had, at least, it was just it was way too softcore, and I was like, "Oh," because I saw one image of fucking once, and I'm like, "It has to all look like this. It has to has to be this." Um, A couple of them were actually the novels. I don't know necessarily what they're called because the covers were ripped off of them. But they were just stories, erotic stories, uh, published. And I've always been a reader, like even before I found those. But I think I'm even more of a reader now because I read all of that smut. (laughs) Um, Yeah, it was pretty voracious. Like, I could quote some, actually. (laughs) I want to hear it. Michelle was a really popular name in these stories, so it was one author that wrote all of them in this book, but it's like um, she she would sit at her office desk and tug her blouse down. like I remember that being one of the specific lines, and Michael it was always michael um would walk up to the desk, lean against it so that his crotch was within her line of sight, like I remember line of sight being one of those, but it's just the the way it was written. Just allowed my imagination to run wild, especially since I'm growing up around hardly anybody. Um, it really helped paint a picture of what, what it all could look like. And even when the internet came around, I was on nifty.org reading all of those stories, and um, it's something that really carried over for me. I think it taught me the mechanics of how the body works in terms of like a pussy can be wet and like dicks come. Because at the time, like, it's like, I wasn't able to come or ejaculate. So to know that women could do that and women could get wet and like buttholes could be fucked. I'm like, what? (laughs) This is so crazy. Um, So I learned about those types of mechanics. So
0: you were reading these stories, Mm -hmm. but you weren't masturbating.
1: No. I would get hard. And then there was a time in sixth grade I started masturbating. I still wasn't ejaculated, there was no cum, but I would like have an orgasm, and that was great. And then sixth grade I got dial-up internet, so things really opened up then. Sixth grade is when I started experimenting with a lot of things. The first time that like I had cum um, was like the end of my sixth grade year. So like the spring, as I was a sixth grader, and it wasn't, it was clear. And I was like, whoa, I've done it. Because I had seen pictures of it, I had read about it. and. Uh, By that time, like online, I'd seen some gay action at that point as well. And I was like, ooh, I'm almost there. (laughs) I was definitely late to the game. Like I didn't have facial hair or or body hair until well into almost high school, like just before high school. So the fact that I had the beginnings of Jizz, I was really happy. So I was molested by my brother and my parents were divorced and my half brother was probably like 15 and I was 10ish. I would visit them like every other summer or something. I saw them so infrequently. But it was one summer my brother wanted to play war and what that meant was I was his secretary and he needed help in the war room, which was his bedroom. And uh, like I think he was like he was hard and like he made me grab his dick, and um, he like made me take off my clothes, and I went to I went behind a couch in the corner of his room, and uh, like I bent over, and uh, that was really it. Um, and I and I know this is a very similar story in some context to a lot of gay experiences where they have a family member either experiment or take advantage of them, and um, so I don't think it as shocking. But sometimes when I tell the story, I forget that it's not everybody's story. But while it happened, and I know it's wrong. There was that male element that I was like, I'm intrigued by this. This is this is a penis, and um, he's older than me. The trend continues. <laughs> In the news, we we hear a lot of people say that well, if you're molested by a family member of the same sex, that's why they end up being gay. And I think that's the furthest from the truth. I think people can take advantage of the weak. And they can also see like, oh, I think they might be gay. Um, So taking advantage of that. My brother probably saw the fact that I was a little queenie when I was younger and very effeminate to some degree. Um, So he capitalized on that moment for his gain. That's bad on him, but that doesn't necessarily mean that's why I'm gay. So I think that narrative is just the worst. There is a Several years in which I was moving around a lot, so I wasn't with my parents, and I was staying with my grandparents, so a lot of instability didn't give me the confidence or courage to, um, to like explore the identity that was developing. So it wasn't really until probably ninth grade in which I gave a blowjob to someone in a less experimental sense. Like, he gave me a blowjob, I gave him a blowjob, and that was an interesting experience. He was a friend of a friend, and uh, he was a very like blink 182 alternative guy and like had gauges before gauges were a thing in Kansas. And um, like I, I went over to his house and he lived in the basement of this this house, and I assumed his parents were upstairs, but it, he had his own car and he had his own entrance, and he just had so much like personality and swagger about him. We were at the bowling alley. Uh, which was the only place to be in that city. He gave me his number that night at the bowling alley, so I was able to text him. And yeah, I think I only had 25 texts a month, and I spent them all on him <laughs> way back when. We would drive around in his car around town and listen to music, and that was just like so cool because he heard about it. He knew all this music that I didn't know. He was just so much cooler than me. But then he took me back to his, his place. It was so dark. Um, he had, like, light bulbs that had been painted, so they weren't even, like, store-bought light bulbs. He had painted them with, like, black light stuff, so it was, like, really setting the mood, and there was a lot of, like, wall coverings of psychedelic tapestries, and I was like, ah, oh, sweet, like, I can be bisexual, too. Like, this is what it's going to be like. Um, and he put on a lot of music. He lit a lot of incense, and like, rolled around in his bed, and... Um like we, we give each other blowjobs and like dirt each other off and kissed a lot, a lot of kissing. Something I pride myself on now is that I'm a good kisser. I was a horrible kisser back then. Um, like I just never saw anybody kissing apart from movies. So I feel like half the time we spent together was me learning how to navigate someone else's mouth with my tongue and my lips. And then um, he had a, a pretty good-sized dick. So, like, I, this learning how to not have teeth, <laughs> um, and to not choke, gag, and all of the above. Really, I was just trying to play out everything I had read and all my uh, my smut articles <laughs> to to real life. But that was the first time that was consensual, and we were both into it. We finished, and he's like, "Okay, well, I'll, t- I'll drive you home." He never talked to me again. <laughs> <laughs> Cue every like emotional response I could have. Like, I ended up getting in my car, like, a week later. I haven't heard from him. I'm like, let's do, do a wellness check. We need to drive by his place. <laughs> so we drive across town, and there's this car in the parking lot. And I'm like, or uh, the, the driveway. And I, I'm i able to think to myself as a 15-year-old, thinking, this is stupid. <laughs> like, there's gonna, I got a lot of life. There's going to be a lot more men and women in my life. Like, I don't need to obsess over this. So it was like the the... Grandest of awakenings, if anything, but uh, that's when I really started to like dive into music, and music started to like heal my soul, and and like I have my my first breakup album. I, I consider that, <laughs> um, so it ended up being a great thing. That breakup album, in particular, were was the killers, um, which formed my love for them. But it's just a lot of the songs work together for how I was feeling within that moment. Um, I think actually when he drove me home that night. The Killers was playing, and I glommed onto it. Not because of him, but I think I like took the ownership and I was like, no, I actually really fucking like this song, and it's not gonna be marred by my bad experience with you. But The Killers was really what I dove into for that. But the rest of it, like I was like death metal this, and like heavy metal this, and I was really falling into some 80s rock and 70s rock, and just like getting into it. Getting into the emotion. At this time, going into high school, I knew gay was not okay. I mean, faggot was being thrown around all the time. Gay was such an insult, even in grade school. But I'd heard, like, my mom's boyfriend at the time call other people faggots. And he's a former Marine, and, like, he's so big and imposing. Like, I knew this wasn't okay. So I was really angry. I was angry with myself for not knowing. I was angry with myself for even being turned on by, by guys. So my music choices were, like, a lot of rock, a lot of hard rock, and, um, lyrics that really spoke something. My mom and I have kind of similar tastes in men. <laughs> so I always found like uh, like the men she was dating, I found attractive in the sense that like they had hairy chests and they were masculine um, from what I perceived as masculine. And uh, I just found that I was like, wow, I can't wait to like be like that someday. So I feel like there was crush elements within that idolization or eroticism, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I feel like I always have two sides of the coin because there were girls at the same time as there were guys I was dating. And when I was dating the girl in high school, like I really did like her. Like physically she had, she was thick. I like my men thick as well. <laughs> and, uh, but she was just so great and like to this day, like I still follow her on Instagram, or friends on Facebook and I see her life and I'm like, there is always an element of like, what if? So I definitely had love for her. I think when I was moving away from Kansas, I made it a point to see her one last time and like make out with her on the hood of my car in Lawrence, Kansas <laughs> um, as like a goodbye. Also as maybe a test <laughs> for my sexuality. So the first time I topped I was at a fraternity party uh, in Lawrence Kansas and I was a junior in high school but I was there for a band competition and I stayed the weekend with a friend of the families who was attending university there in Lawrence so I was gonna stay that weekend she took me to a lot of fraternity parties and I had like beer for the first time I got really drunk and then I ended up Taking this guy back to his dorm room. And it was like really, I was really foggy, really hazy about the specifics. But I remember going to his dorm room and he was like, Oh, I want you to fuck me. I want you to fuck me. I was like, Okay, cool. (laughs) I was just so excited that this was finally happening. And like, he gives me a condom. So I put the condom on. And we are on the top bunk of bunk beds in a dorm room. And, uh, so I put the condom on, I lift his legs up, and I just stick it in. And he screams bloody murder. And I'm like, whoa, what? Like, I didn't put lube on, I didn't spit, I didn't do anything. Like, I, I just had no perception of what I was supposed to do. So I just stuck it in, and he like screams, screams, and like he hits the wall, but I, I, I keep going. So I fuck him for probably about 30 minutes up there, and then he was not, he was pretty loud. Very vocal, one of the most, Today, one of the most vocal people I've ever been with. But then we ended up going down to the futon um, and then he like rode me for a while and then I bent him over and I was like, this condom really is hurting because there's still no lube. Um, So it it, it was about two hours um, uh, of that sexual experience and throughout those two hours, I'm getting more sober and more sober and more sober and I'm like, wow. This person doesn't look like the same person I thought I was going home with. <laughs> so it was a very sobering experience, if we will. But once about two hours hits, I realized that I'm not attracted to this person in the slightest whatsoever. The pure definition of coyote ugly. Um, so I, I text my friend, Amy, to pick me up. I was like, You gotta, I don't know where I'm at. She's like, Oh, yeah, you're here. I'll come get you. So she comes to get me, right? And Oh, I don't know if I can say his name, but... <laughs> uh, walks me out of the dorm room into the hallway. So we open the door and I step out into the hallway of the dorm. The hallway is full of people. 15 to 20 people. And they're all just staring. Because he had been so loud that he had woken up half the hallway. And I was just so drunk and oblivious to it. I was just going with it, right? And uh, I like look to the right, I look to the left, and I'm just... I'm scared shitless, like I'm so scared. And I like, I go beat red and I run. I run to the elevator. um, And I just try to get out of there as quickly as possible. And that was the first time I had sex. So the dorm room experience was very humiliating for me. Not in the sense that like people, all these people were watching me, but like these people knew I was gay. And that was like a really big mental fuck for me, that I wasn't out, I was in the closet. I had a girlfriend at the time. This was happening um, and it was just, I was terrified of what was going to happen. Fast forward, everybody can watch. Everybody can join in. Like I'm glad that I've been able to work over those demons but now it's like, I have lovely windows right here <laughs> that I love to walk around naked in front of. So it just, it's I'm glad that it's evolved. I started joining gay dating sites, like gay.com and um, those things, and I was lying about my age and I had undeterminable photos. <laughs> like You definitely couldn't tell I was younger in these particular photos. But then I started chatting with a lot of people. One person on gay.com, he was completely the opposite of everything his profile said he was. And uh, in Kansas, like you wanna hide being gay as much as possible, or any type of femininity, and you wanted to be hyper-masculine, and this man was completely comfortable in his own skin not being masculine, and uh, looking back, that's great, but I was so worried and nervous about being out with him. I remember, like, we went out to a steakhouse, the waitress recognized me, and I was, like, freaking out. It's was like, this is, and I remember saying, this is my uncle, because he suggested I say that. It was just so weird. Like, I think I ended dinner early and I just left. And it was in December when I was chatting with a guy and he's like, let's meet up. And I was like, oh man, okay. Like, I think I'm ready. I'm definitely ready to do this. We agreed to meet in the produce section in Walmart, Supercenter. (laughs) Because it was, I thought at that time it was the safest place at 11 p.m. on the weekend. Um, And this is when I was a junior in high school. So. We meet and I'm like, yeah, I find this guy really attractive. And he's like, do you want to come back to my place? Sure. He lived 40 minutes outside of town. <laughs> so like I'm following him along these country roads and everything in my head is sending off signals of like, this is how you die. This is exactly how gay boys die in the country. This, this is it. So we get to his place and um, he lives in like the attic of this old house in the country. But it ended up being a really, really comfortable sexual experience. Um, He had a really big dick and uh, he was only a top. So when I would kiss him and when I was giving him head, he was like giving me pointers, but it was in the most like loving way possible. Because he knew I was young and inexperienced. Uh, Come to find out, he knew I was also lying about my age the entire time. I was 16 and he was 30. The legal age of consent in kansas is 16. (laughs) but throughout that process and then of like actually bottoming for the first time like he was teaching me how to breathe and how to relax and i was just so comfortable mentally physically and emotionally i just felt really safe and then i dated him for five years (laughs) but i was deeply in love with he Taught me so much sexually, so much about myself. He allowed us to explore together, so we would have group sex and like we would buy toys together. And he was just, and still is, I think, just a fantastic, caring human being. So, like, I know that if I were in a different situation, I probably wouldn't be who I am today. 100%. I know that. Um, but definitely my first love, and I still love him. I went to live with him after I got kicked out when I came out of the closet, so there was a lot of that sensitivity wrapped up with him. I always felt that if there were anybody to be accepting out of my family, it would be my mom because she was such the black sheep of her family. She was such a rebel. She was smoking cigarettes and sneaking out of the house and like she grew up doing drugs and like I knew about all these things and she ran away from home, but I could never place a queer understanding, or how she would, um, I guess, respond to anything gay. My mom was a bartender for a long time, and she would always get hit on by women. Because there's a lot of lesbians in Kansas. (laughs) Um, And my mom would take it in stride. She would think it as a compliment, but she'd be like, oh no, no thanks, I'm not interested. And then Will and Grace is on TV, Ellen's on TV, and my mom, she was okay with those gay characters. So it was my understanding at that time that my mom was gonna be a little bit more open once I realized that I was gay. My mom and I had been pretty close growing up and I had really removed myself. I stayed in my room. I was just really in a dark place with who I was and trying to figure out, was I into men? Was I into women? like What did I want and who was I? And I stopped talking to her and she confronted me one day Are you on drugs? Are you drinking? Like, what's going on? We never talk anymore. And I remember her saying, kind of offhand, scoffingly, "Um, it's not like you're gay, is it? And at this time I'm like crying because I knew it's bubbling up and it had to come out. So I'm sobbing and I say yes. Um, I could only say yes. And she said, sick, get out. So um, I packed like two trash bags worth of like like my clothes and a, my backpack. And uh, yeah, I like loaded up my car and I drove.
0: <laughs> uh,
1: Kansas has a lot of open space. So sometimes driving is a little bit therapeutic for us that grow up in small towns or rural areas. So like I just drove really until I needed gas. So I drove for hours and just crying, listening to music. <laughs> and uh, eventually circling back to work, because I was a shift supervisor at Blockbuster at the time, (laughs) so um, I went to work and I just went in the back office and I just chilled there, um, just kind of collecting my thoughts. For about a week I was living out of my car, and I would like wash up at work and shower at some friend's house until I finally told my boyfriend what had happened, and then I moved in with him until my freshman year of college started. And I didn't speak to my mom for six months after I came out and then Then we had a big fight and then it was about a year since I talked to her again. Then we had another big fight and uh, It was another year that we didn't speak When I was 21 I moved to Chicago from Kansas alone Um, No family no friends or anything like that a job moved me to Chicago, but then I got laid off and I quickly burned through all of my savings and everything like that. And I was terrified that I would ha- I was going to have to move back to Kansas. And I, I felt like I had escaped Kansas and I escaped the small town mindset, the the religion, the the constantly getting called fags, so on and so forth. And uh, I was like, if I go back to Kansas, I'll probably kill myself. Like it was to that level. So I had to figure out what to do. And... I didn't want to sell drugs, (laughs) so I started having sex for money, and then I was a rent boy, so I was like on the website um, back in its heyday, and uh, yeah, I had clients through there to help me pay the bills until I eventually found work, so I did it for about six months, and it was a very interesting experience because, I mean, I was 21, very different than I am now. I looked very different. It was much more... I was like a th- thick twink <laughs> back then, but like no beard. Like most of my body, my chest hair has come in in the last like three years. So <laughs> um, I was pretty smooth. Um, since it was a-, a need, I couldn't be choosy. I couldn't be picky about my clients. So there were s- many that I was not attracted to whatsoever. But given that I was 21, most of my clientele were older men and they were wanting that younger boy. Um, a lot were married to women and had kids. Some of them couldn't get dates so they had to pay for sex, some of them couldn't admit that they were gay or had gay desires because they were straight or straight identifying. Some of them came from cultures that being gay is punishable by death and that was such a learning experience for me coming from this small town to knowing that being me could get me killed. What they're doing could get them killed from where they're from. So I think it made me a lot more compassionate to other people's stories. I never thought mine was hard, I guess. Um, I know a lot of people have an easier coming out story, but I just guess I took it in stride. But the sex work made me more appreciative of people's stories, knowing that so many different stories exist. We call it a sex work, but it was really about having an experience with someone. So I didn't have sex with all my clients. They didn't all ask for sex. They wanted sometimes a boyfriend experience or to go have dinner or to a movie. Um, Some of them wanted to just massage me, Um, but like no sex. I was surprised by how little sex I had. So the positive experiences were how much value people placed on intimacy and companionship and just talking to someone else and being there with someone else. And those are all things that I wasn't good at in my relationships, and still probably what I struggle with today. So I think that that opened my eyes to people are need so much more to be complete than just sex. Yes, I had some sex, and some of it was great, and some of it was terrifying. It's actually why I quit sex work. It was my last client, and he was six foot six, six foot seven, um, I'm like five eight and three quarters, and back then I'm like 180 pounds. Um, But he was like 6'7", 340 pounds. He was a former NFL player, um, from what he said. Uh, But I was at his place, and he was so much stronger than me, and he was so aggressive, and he was fucking me, and I just, he had a very large penis, and it hurt so bad, and I told him to stop, to stop, to stop, and he wouldn't stop. And, like, he was choking me and, like, punching me. Like, the punching wasn't like to hurt, I, I don't know, it was a weird, It's such a weird experience and it's kind of a blur when I think back on it, but uh, it was just so scary and like that made me quit. And I've seen it in the movies since then, especially with like uh, male power roles over women where like, I'm paying for this, like I can do what I want. It's kind of a trope we see a lot of. Um, and he used that line and I'm like, no one, <laughs> regardless of situation, deserves this. Like I don't, I did... yeah, It was. it was crazy. Before moving to Chicago, like, I had very limited interactions with having uh, sex with people that were not white. Because there's not a lot of people of color from Kansas. So this particular instance um, was the first time I'd ever sex with had sex with a black African-American man. And it really... I had to go to therapy about this because I felt myself being so much more judgmental around sexuality and... Um, attractiveness to people of color. Like I had, I felt like I had gotten better, but then it was, it really tore me down. And then my relationships thereafter, which included a five-year marriage right after this, uh, which resulted in a divorce, um, but like it definitely affected my sex life. Like it was really hard for me to be intimate and be vulnerable sexually for a really long time after that experience.
0: It's traumatizing.
1: Yeah. A lot of your work talks about sexuality and being sex positive, and I think that's really fantastic. I grew up with a lot of sex shame. Even when I was married to a man, there was still a lot of shame revolving around sex. And it wasn't until I came to terms with my time as a sex worker and how beautiful that was, even though it ended kind of tragically, that I am the owner of my sexuality. I'm the owner of my body. I'm the owner of a good time. And I, I get those choices. Sex is okay. I think so many people view sex work as a negative thing. I mean, not in like San Francisco or, or New York or probably Seattle, but sex work isn't negative because if anything, it's the most powerful thing that you can do with your body. Um, and requires a lot of trust, not only in others, but yourself. So I, I hope that people's narratives on sex work um, and understanding of it begins to evolve even more. And those negatives are not overshining the positives that I take away from my sex work experience. People tell me that I'm a great kisser, people tell me I give really good blow jobs, but I think something that I really, really try to make happen and that usually, gets good results is intentional eye contact. Like I'm really, really committed to eye contact during sex. And uh, <laughs> I always have a little smirk that I do when I know there's that connection. And usually guys are like, sign me up. So it's it's not necessarily a move, but it's really intentional and purposeful, perfectly timed eye contact with a grin. Um, Apart from that, I'm a. I did gymnastics when I was younger, so I'm pretty flexible. I've stayed stretching, so I can do the splits. Um, guys have really enjoyed that.
0: <laughs> How does that play out?
1: Um. So they're lying down, and I can do the splits and sit on their dick while doing the splits. Wow. Yeah, it usually has to be like on the floor.
0: Yeah, yeah. So they're laying with their uh-huh. back on the floor. It, just describe to me the mechanics. Sure. I think it's
1: kind of, yeah. <laughs> so there's a guy lying on the floor and he's holding his hard dick up and I slide down into the splits and his other hand is usually like pulling my cheek apart just cause the way when you do the splits, your cheeks usually like squeeze together. So he opens, opens my ass and then I slide down onto his dick. This only can happen after we've been fucking for a while because I have to be a little loosened up for it to, for it to happen. But usually from there, like if you've ever seen any like um, twerk video. <laughs> it's just kind of exactly what's happening. Just bouncing while doing the splits.
0: And you can like go up and down? Yeah,
1: just with my legs. I get tired real quick, so I can use my hands to like <laughs> facilitate the movement. Yeah. I can't wear socks, I need the traction. So it's either, I'm either I've done it wearing shoes, or I am, am barefoot. But even though it lasts just for a little bit, it's, it's a fun experience. So I had done basic things like water sports, and um, I've done fisting uh, in all of its capacities. Moving to San Francisco and kind of this cesspool of kink and fetish and body positivity for years and years before me, it's, people have been asking me, oh, what are you into? What is, what's your kink? What's your fetish? And I've developed a new answer, and my fetish is saying yes. Because, A, I'm not going to know if I like something unless I try it and I'm not in the business of being a negative person. Like I'm, I'm overly positive at times, but I just think that even if you don't like one thing, there could be that one person that gives you the chance and the experience to love something. And that's why I think say yes to the adventure, say no to the action later. Recently I went to a Dom sub party where everyone had a role and I was assigned a role at this party and I was really nervous about it because I was like, oh, like there's shame around bottoming, there's shame around being a sub. Um, but the, the best part about the party is that we got to switch roles, and I found myself like loving both sides of it. And I was like, oh, I'm a dom and a sub, this is fantastic. Um, but knowing that the individuals that I interacted with at that party were bringing out really great parts of me that I didn't know existed. So that's been something new for sure. Um, also, armpits. I'd always really loved the smell of man. Um, but I'm, I have a pungent smell. <laughs> um, but I haven't worn deodorant in quite a while. Um, and that has evolved here. And I've noticed a lot of guys that are really into my pits and, like, sniffing them. They want to, like, come on my pit and lick it out. <laughs> um, yeah, and and it's, like... The strongest sense on my body is my smell, so I get really turned on even by my own scent. So other people's, it's, it's good. So I've never sounded, and it's terrifying to me. That's exactly why I wanna try it, because I'm probably gonna be really into it. <laughs> Sounding is the act in which you are sticking rods of varying sizes and lengths down your penis in the urethra, and you, while placed there, you can jerk off with it. Um, you can fuck your own dick with the rod. It's a little bit uh, endless, I think, the possibility. Um, some of the best videos I've seen are where they're jerking off with this rod all the way down their shaft, and when they come, it shoots the rod out, and I'm like, yes, I want I want to experience that right there. But mostly, they're usually always stainless steel rods that go in.
0: And I guess with pre that's kind of a lubricant. It is, so.
1: but not everybody Precums, yeah. <laughs> which uh, someone told me about their bad experience with it, is they kind of went in dry thinking that their pre was gonna be enough, yeah. and it wasn't. <laughs> Another thing, I've always really been into nipple play, like my nipples are very sensitive. My nipples aren't pierced anymore, but they're now more sensitive, which I, I hear doesn't happen for a lot of people. Um, but it's gotten to the point now where I'm able to come by just playing with my nipples. Whoa. Yeah, like hands free would just—it's happened twice now, in the past six months. So, I'm looking forward to maybe some like um, bondage, where like someone takes advantage, um, ties me up, and like makes me come by just playing with my nipples, vibration and clamps and stuff like that. That's that's on the list as well. The shame's gone, which is a really big component um, about feeling more confident and comfortable with myself and my sexuality. I still have my issues with body image and um, I I, I feel like when I walk into a crowd of like furry, beautiful, um, they don't even have to be furry, just guys I find attractive, I get pretty insecure because I feel like I still have to look a certain way. So I'm still battling those demons. But hooking up now is just so much more educated. Um, I'm kind of blessed to live amongst cities that have a more educated population. So the West Coast has been really positive in that sense. So when you're hooking up with someone, there's usually an understanding that this is going to be fun, this is going to be safe. Um, I've been very communicative with everybody about my HIV and STI status, and it's just been, I guess, comfortable is a word I'd use. That's the difference. I feel so much more comfortable doing it, but I feel more safe doing it now. With that safety, that feeling, I definitely am okay with taking more risks now. So now that it's gotten to this point, I'm like, ooh, let's try this. Ooh, let's go do it there. (laughs) Let's go do it there. Um, Or different like kinks and fetishes and stuff like that. Definitely something I wouldn't have been able to do unless I think the hookup culture had evolved that's a positive. The negative of hookup culture now is it's taking away our ability to communicate with one another on something deeper than a topical level. So it's just all superficial um, forms of communication. Like way back when, age, sex, location, ASL, like that's how you start things. And while I try to steer conversations away that, mm, push that direction because i because i like that deeper connection it's the ability to to connect with people is is gone now because of the instant gratification that apps and sites are able to give you i find myself in a precarious position in the gay community because i have moments of hyper-masculinity. Like, I love sports and I am I get really into it. When I play, I'm super competitive. Um, I'm pretty feisty. Um, my nickname is spicy, just because I will sometimes start fights about it. Uh, at the same time, like, I will slay choreography and of course do the splits during sex and not during sex. Um, and really just like get into some musicals and wear drag, be in drag and it's just, um, I feel like I'm very polarized in those types of things. We're growing up this country hick, and then me wanting to be on RuPaul's Next Drag Race. Like, I, both are so okay. And I see so many times people saying, you know, in their like apps or profiles, they're saying, oh, I'm not into X, Y, and Z. And I think it's just so limiting of experience that people on both ends of the spectrum should not count out anything on either end of the spectrum or in between. Um, if anything, my development has taught me that I love being intimate with people that are very feminine and, and hyper-masculine. Um, into sports, not into sports. Like, wear heels when we're having sex. That's fun. I can tell my friends about that later. It's super cool. I can talk about it in a podcast. Um, but it's just opening your eyes and giving any type of experience a chance. Don't limit yourself for an adventure. Don't feel ashamed of who you are. Um, Also don't change who you are. It's okay to experiment with identity, um, but don't let someone else dictate what gay means. Don't let someone else dictate what sexuality means. Um, That would, even though my younger self probably wouldn't understand what that means, I'd hopefully be able to recall it in some um, cathartic moment (laughs) in my life. But those two elements would be really important because I think the most negative moments of my life have been when I've let other people tell me what I am and unfortunately I listened during those moments. And also to develop relationships with those that show love for you. And that's friends, that's uh, companions, that's partners, all of that. Um, I think the way in which I grew up, very closed off, very, a very broken family structure, I didn't know what love meant and I've pushed a lot of people away. That wanted to be friends, wanted to be more than friends. And I limited a lot of experiences for myself because of that.
2: Fruitball interviews are edited for length and narrative clarity and are approved by each interviewee before being released. Visit fruitbowlpodcast.com where you can learn more about this episode, browse the episode archive, and watch original videos. FruitBowl collects histories from all different backgrounds and experiences. Cisgender women, trans and genderqueer individuals, black people, indigenous people, and people of color. It's only by collecting diverse stories that we can begin to see what unites us. Interested in sharing your story? Find out more about the interview process, including a full list of questions, a description of the collaborative interview process, and news about future production. Visit fruitbowlpodcast.com for links and contact information. Fruit Bowl is produced independently without any corporate media infrastructure or full-time staff. Help support our efforts to collect, archive, and share personal stories about queer coming-of-age by making a small, monthly donation through Fruit Bowl's Patreon membership. Patrons get early access to episodes, behind-the-scenes updates, and exclusive video outtakes from each episode that are not available to the general public or promote your business by sponsoring an episode of Fruit Bowl or dedicate an episode to a loved one. Episode sponsorships and dedications are 100% tax-deductible through Fruit Bowl's fiscal partnership with Seattle's Northwest Film Forum. Fruit Bowl receives no direct funding from Northwest Film Forum, only the use of their nonprofit status to receive tax-deductible donations. Learn more at fruitbowlpodcast.com slash donate or write dave at fruitbowlpodcast.com for more information. Social media platforms often censor mentions or depictions of queer sexuality. Accounts are often suspended or banned outright without notice or due process. As a result, promoting Fruit Bowl is an uphill battle, so we rely on you to help spread the word tell your friends about fruit bowl rate us on your podcast platform or write a review on apple podcast and of course you can also follow us for now on twitter at fruit bowl pod and instagram and tiktok at fruit bowl podcast fruit bowl is created produced and edited by dave quantic i'm rebecca m davis This has been a production of Cubed Media, all rights reserved. Thanks for listening.